Today's scripture reading is found in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 1 through verse 24. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the text. The scripture will also be on the screen behind me. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 1 through 24. And when you're there, please stand for the reading of God's word. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is still in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios, the next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ." And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks, Audrey. 
Well, if you're new with us, uh, good morning again. Um, just want to uh, tell you this is what we do here at the Park Church. We preach the books of the Bible, and we are uh, starting a new chapter, Acts chapter uh, 20. And uh, for some of you, you're, you're hearing Audrey read that, and uh, you're like, finally, a sermon I can relate to, right? You know, Eutychus falling asleep during a sermon. Um, listen, um, that is about as deep uh, as most commentators make on this passage. Really. Luke, the writer of, of Acts and the Gospel of Luke, um, we're always trying to figure out why is he inserting these unusual stories, right? And this is no different. This is an unusual story, right? We all agree, like, right? And, and we wouldn't be able to laugh about it except we know that the, the outcome, correct? We know that he doesn't just fall out of a window and stay there dead. We, he falls out of the window and Paul goes and gets him and, and he lives. And so uh, I want to get into that scene, but also why I would choose to continue into Paul's speech, Paul talking there is, is what's known as his farewell address, farewell to the Ephesian elders, this group of men who he's been raising up in the church that he has planted. Uh, Paul knows what's ahead for him, and uh, even though he doesn't know his end is, 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 is coming soon, uh, I believe that, that, that he actually does know that it's coming soon with the urgency in which his language is. And so I want to put these two together, maybe in a, a unique way, but I, I, I do not want us to just uh, gloss over Eutychus. I mean, this story, and you've maybe heard sermons around it, you know, wake up, Eutychus, and all these different cheesy things that'll happen. I promise not to be too cheesy here, but I want us to get into the scene. And so look at me in verse 7. It says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. All right, so the first day of the week, it appears that they're having church. And this, this is one of the earliest, this is actually the earliest recording of church being on the first day of the week, which is the first day of the week. Class, don't say that loud because you might embarrass yourself. The first day of the week is Sunday, okay? And, and historically, prior to this, church had been held on when, or the gathering had been held on when? Saturday. And so now we see a shift, and this is one of the earliest recordings of that shift going to Sunday, the first day of the week when the Lord uh, resurrected. And so we see this massive gathering in this house, and Paul is, is preaching, and we know the house is massive because uh, what window does Eutychus fall out of? The third story, all right? And it must have been pretty packed unless he just wanted a bad seat in the house, all right? And so he's up on the third floor, and it's dark. Like, Luke paints this scene um, with a little bit of comedy, but also he's, he's giving us some important details. It's midnight, so just imagine the scene, if you will, for, for, for poor old Eutychus, right? He's there on the windowsill trying to stay awake, and, and, and Paul is preaching, and he's teaching. They've, they've broken bread together, had communion together, and man, they're, they're now at night, there's probably some candlelight flickering. Maybe a cool breeze is coming in through that third-story window. And you, I mean, some of you really resonate with this because you're like, yeah, my eyelids right now are getting heavy. And so he, he falls asleep, deep sleep. But here's what I also want to point out. What does Luke talk about, or what does he call Paul's speech? He says, and he prolonged his speech. He was preaching a long sermon, right? He was preaching a long time. And so in that preaching, uh, Eutychus just falls to sleep. And from that sleep, falls out of the window. Falls out of the window, hits the ground, and as you can imagine, I'm sure that disrupts the service, right? Y yes, it does. As you can imagine, people, there were probably screams. There were probably people freaking out. I don't know if his parents were there. He was, he was a teenage kid. And so they, 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 they all come around here. And Paul, preaching and teaching this very long sermon, comes out, sees Eutychus. What does it say? It says that he, he grabs him or picks him up and brings him near. This is the idea of him holding him, and he looks at everybody else, or loud enough probably for, for most people to hear, and goes, listen, 
his life is still in him. Like he was dead. Luke tells us that. And now life is in him. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but what do you think would continue? What, what do you think would happen next in a scene with a bunch of people? Let's just say, let's just use in a church service, okay? If this occurred, if this moment actually occurred, right? I, I, as, as a leader, as pastor, as a speaker, I'd be like, hold up. Like, let's just take a breath. Like, this is amazing, right? I'm from Charismatic Circle, so we'd be singing, you know, like, look what the Lord has done, right? Anybody else? Do you know that song? He healed my body. Yeah, he said, you're a bunch of Baptists. I'm about to teach you a new song, all right? Like, listen, that's what it says. He touched my body, he hit my, and we just get going, right? And like, that's what would happen. What occurred here? It's an amazing scene. And Luke just like tells this story of Eutychus, like a matter of fact, like he fell out of the window. Paul went and got him. Paul goes, hey, listen, he's not dead. He stands up alive. And then what does it say? Paul, listen, here's what happened. Paul had gone up and he had broken bread. This is verse 11. And eaten, he took communion again. So he's like, I know we took it at the top. We had a little event here in the middle. We're going to take communion again. And what does he say? And he took, he conversed with them a little while longer. He kept preaching. Does that strike you as strange to anybody else? You see, this is where we connect these two. Because we actually begin to get a picture of what Luke is trying to communicate to us about Paul in this story and what he says verbally in his farewell speech. That what we get with the story of Eutychus, and I'll, I'll, I'll untangle this a little bit further, is that the fall of Eutychus is not the final word in this story. Right? The fall, even for humanity, you need to hear this. For humanity, the fall, if you will, out of that third story window is not the final word. What's even crazier in this story is that the final word isn't even Eutychus being brought back to life, right? He was dead. And Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, sees and believes that this kid can still live, and he does. What's the final word in this scene? The word. Paul continues to preach. Why? Why would he continue to to do that? Why would death not be given this final moment of this final story, not even the boy's life returning back to him? Well, Paul, I think for his people, the men he's discipling, and for us this morning, wants to clarify the gospel. Like I talked about last week, the implications of the gospel. You see, as Paul's life is drawing to an end, Paul wants to make clear to those men that he's walking with, those he's discipling in here even 2,000 years later, right, with us, that the gospel has clear implication, that the result of the gospel must be true in your life. It must not just be mere intellectual knowledge, guys, but it must be something that works itself out in our lives. It's a message we proclaim, yes, but it affects the manner of our living, and we witness to that fact. And so Paul's speech here, I'm going to unpack it and then I'm going to tie these two together. Paul's speech here is such a vivid picture of his call to his guys that he's discipling and to us as well. And so the first thing I want us to see in verses 18 and 19 of Paul's speech, and I know you'll begin to connect these two, but, but hold off on me. We'll, we'll, we'll do that in a sec. Is Paul's manner of living. You see, one of the things that Eutychus... And the story of Eutychus was meant and, and, and included by Luke was to demonstrate Paul's power and Paul's life 
essentially to a group of Jews to validate Paul as an apostle, right? The idea of someone being raised back to life should have flashes for you of the Old Testament of Elijah and Elisha. You should think about Jesus in the Gospels, right? You remember the story with with the little girl that he, he brings back to life. Peter, even in the book of Acts, and to all that, we're going, yes, yes, yes. And, and no one would have had a problem with Elijah or Elisha. No one, of course, would have had a problem with seeing Jesus, the Messiah, doing this. Peter, even, they would have been like, listen, he was the disciple, right? Like the chosen one, the one that Jesus looks at and says, listen, I'm going to build my church on you, the rock. But, but Paul? Let's go back to Acts and remember Paul's beginning. Carried the name Saul. Was a terrorist murdered Christians, the chief persecutor of Christians, that God does what? Gets a hold of his heart, if you will, kicks him out of a third-story window on a road that he's on, blinds him, and then gives him sight and changes his name. But still, how many of you know, even in transformation, those around you can still be skeptical of you? Yes, that's true. Mm, has he really, has she really been changed? Is that really God's working? Especially as you begin to come into a position of leadership like Paul was in. Mm, what's his motive? Should we really call him apostle? Is he really an apostle? Listen, this picture with Eutychus is so much deeper that without a doubt would have given people pause to go, yes, God's hand is upon him in a unique way. And so now Paul speaks with that level of authority to go, you want to know what my life is about? Here's what it's about. You want to know what my life is marked by? Here's, here it is, verse 18. You yourselves know how I have lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord, here we go, with all humility, write that one down, with all humility, with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of these Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was pos- uh, profitable. So what is Paul saying? Listen, you want to know the manner in which I'm living my life? Here it is. Humility. What causes humility in a person? Is humility, true humility, possible in of yourself? Is, is, is that a characteristic you can manufacture? You say, well, if I, just, if I just keep, you know, beating myself down, if I just keep telling myself I'm bad, can you, can you create humility? No. Humility is only something that comes from the Spirit of God illuminating who you are, your humanity, your brokenness, your weakness, and the great grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. His grandeur. That's what brings real humility. And so when Paul says this, it's not, listen, I've just gone through these things and such been humbled. No, it's, I've been shown who I am, but how great God is. That's what creates humility in us. But he says this has also come through, verse 19, the second part, in enduring trials. The way I live my life, Paul says, is that I face trials and tribulations and sufferings by standing on the unshakable confidence of Jesus Christ. That's verse 20 that I read. I go through these imprisonments, I go through these riots, I go through these things in my life, not with the confidence in myself, but with the humility that I can't make it apart from Jesus. Listen, when Sam, when we're singing about waiting, listen, we will never actively wait in our lives with all the chaos and all the swirling and all the trials and suffering that are happening to so many of us. We will never be able to stand in that apart from the Spirit of God, apart from the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. The only way you can stand or I can stand is because of Christ. And that's what Paul says. And he goes, I hope my manner of living is that on display for you. 
And then he goes further and he goes, my purpose in this speech, he goes, my purpose is to teach and testify in all places to all people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, here it is, the repentance of sins and faith in Jesus. Paul goes, guys, listen, as my life nears an end, here's what I want you to know about me. My purpose is twofold. Repentance, the message of repentance, and faith in Jesus. And out of that, listen, we see Paul's urgency. Paul's urgency to go to these places. It says that he is constrained by the Holy Spirit. There's like this, this running to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share his life with these people, laying it down for them in spite of the suffering that's going to come, in spite of the trials that are going to come. He's going, listen, my urgency and my impulse is to share the gospel and the grace that I have, I have received with you. And Paul's expectation is not that it's going to be cupcakes and roses and lilies that he's going to skip through. His, his, his expectation is what? As a disciple, as an apostle, things are going to get hard. And as much as I find the Eutychus story kind of humorous, I find this line by, by Paul almost equally as humorous. He says in verse 22, he says, not knowing what will happen to me there as I go to Jerusalem. He goes, not that, I'll, not that I know what's going to happen to me. Then the next line he goes, but I suspect that the Holy Spirit has told me I'm going to be imprisoned and probably beaten. Because that's what happens to me everywhere, right? I suppose my teeth are going to get kicked in because they've been kicked in in every stinking city I've been in. And so he says, though, take heart. Take heart church. Take heart in the waiting. Take heart in those afflictions because your ultimate desire, your ultimate purpose, if you will, right? The ultimate is not to have a pain-free life, is not to have a trial-free life, a suffering-proof life, but instead is to complete or finish the purpose to which God has given for his glory. That's Paul's message. That's what he says. Listen, this is what I want you to see on display. Like Paul's greatest desire is not to preserve his life. How many of us could say that? Paul's greatest desire was not to better his financial standing. No, Paul's greatest desire was to live faithfully, particularly in this moment, finish his life well for the glory of God. That not even the death of a boy falling out of a window could stop him. Not even what he knows will most likely and probably come for him in the cities of Jerusalem and Rome, which he will die in Rome, which lie ahead shortly. Nothing stops Paul from completing his work. Here's what I want you to do with these. I want you to look at these. I want you to take Paul's name off. I want you to fill in the space beside it. And you don't have to do that right now. Maybe take a picture of it, write them down. I want you to do that as an activity at your home. And then here's what I want you to do. Maybe, and I didn't tell this in the 9 a.m., so maybe you could tell them if you know them. I want you to give it to your wife and say, or your husband or somebody close to you, a friend, a roommate, and say, fill that out with what you observe in me. What do you see that my manner of living is for? What do you see my purpose? Do you see an urgency in me? Listen, we're, we're all relatively urgent for something. You know that, right? 
my expectations in life, what are they? And my ultimate desire. What does that look like in the way I talk and the way I live my life? You see, have we really grasped these things of the gospel? And a better question, and, and Michael, who I study with this, asked it this way. He says, rather, a better question is, have we been grasped by them? You see, that's what the gospel does. It's not that we just intellectually grasp it. It's that it grasps us. And because of that, that when it grasps us as individuals in a church, there will be an urgency in our lives. That the essence of the gospel will be communicated in word and deed to those who are around us in every fiber, in every facet of our being. And that we will prepare them and us for future trials and sufferings that are inevitable. Okay, so Kyle, what, what do we do with this? What do we do with a story like Eutychus and a farewell speech like Paul, right? Like, first, um, I hope that it would encourage you. I hope that you hear these words from Paul and how he displays his life, and they're not crushing, but they're encouraging. That it is lifted up as an example of faithfulness and endurance and perseverance in spite of all the things he faced that we've walked through, even in Acts. That this is a picture of a life well lived for the glory of God. I hope that's what you see. I hope that when Paul explains these things, he's not puffing himself up. He's giving glory to Christ. Second thing is this. And I particularly key in here on this story of Eutychus. Is that it reminds us of our humanity. And our need to be humbled by our own humanity. That our lack of control is something that we are reminded of by a 14-year-old boy falling asleep during a sermon and falling out of a window. That our lack of control is as confrontational as death. Each night, if you have kids, you probably know this. It's like more nights than not. One of my kids will ask as I put them in bed, and of course they're not tired, right? They'll go, why do we have to sleep? Anybody else afraid that? Yeah. What's your answer? Here's mine. Because you're not God. And of course my kids are like, what? what, what, what? And I go, there's only one who does not sleep. There's only one who does not need sleep. That's God. And you're not him. I'm not him. So go to stinking bed and I got to get some sleep, right? But that's true. Like sleep reminds us of our lack of control. It reminds us that we are powerless, that we are feeble, that we are weak. You see, I wish I were more like the Apostle Paul in the things I just listed. But in fact, more often than not, I'm much more like Eutychus, struggling to keep my eyes open as the word of God goes forth, as the moments of each day slip by me, overcome by my own humanity, my own body warring against itself. I have these heavy eyelids and tired, most of the time forced into realizing my own weakness and my own humanity. But hear me, that humility, that reality that God would show us forces us to see the real work God is doing. To see how great and how sweet and powerful his grace really is. Look at verse 12 of Acts chapter 20. You see, 
after Paul departed, it says in verse 12, and they took the youth away, Eutychus, alive, and were not a little comforted. Weak translation, by the way. So you have this group of people now taking a boy away who is dead, who's now alive, and is just willing to say, and they weren't a little, they were not a little comforted. Meaning they were ecstatic, but also deeper than that, that they now saw things through a different way or a different lens. They now saw literally the power of God on display through an apostle like Paul, a boy who is dead, who now comes to life. They were like, what in the world just happened? That's how powerful our God is. Oh yeah, let's have a worship session. Let's break it down because our God is amazing. His power's on display. How many know like something like that happens? God does that. You're like, your total lens is just changed, right? That's what should happen. This is where Keller, Tim Keller would say something like, listen, the gospel is not something you look at. It's something you look through. That's what the gospel does, is it changes our worldview. It changes everything around us. It changes the way we see things. And so listen, the gospel transforms our weary humanity into something fully alive. God is the one who gives us life. Eutychus wasn't there going, I need to be alive. Right? He was dead. The Bible uses the same picture to talk about us in our sin, right? Not that you were flailing around in the ocean and a life raft came out to you and just said, jump on. No, you were dead in the bottom. You had fallen out of the third story window and you lie on your back. What happens? Christ comes and he grabs us and he says, my life is in you. Go and live. That's the picture of the gospel. You see, our fall, our death and the new life that the gospel brings to us is meant for us to see that we are in this much bigger story, right? Just like this little sliver of Eutychus is in this big story of Acts that we're walking through. That our story is in God's grand and beautiful narrative of how he's saving and redeeming this world. This passage, yes, it reminds us to stay awake, but so much more is happening in this passage. It should remind us of the salvation that has come to us and in us because of Christ. Listen, Advent, Emmanuel, what does it mean? They said it, the zealers said it. God with us, apart from that, we do not have life. We are still laying off the, on the ground, falling from the third story. We're still in the bottom of the ocean, apart from the first coming of Jesus Christ that gives us life. And here he does. He brings us and gives us life so that we can see our part in his grand story. That we don't live based upon our own power or our own ability. That we find our place in this story, not because we've earned it, Not because you stepped up into it, right? Not because you found your way into it. No, we were dead until Jesus picked us up and speaks his life into us. That death has been beaten. That is what is on display here. And if we are in Christ, if you are in Christ, it has been removed from having the last word in your story, in my story. And you've been given life. Not to waste it or squander it away wishing for something more or for self-improvement, but that you and I might live out of what we have received. That our lives would be able to echo, not just verbally, but with our feet as well, what Paul says so powerfully in verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if 
only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus. That's what it's about. That's what this life that we have been given is all about, to see by his grace and in his providence that God has carved out this time in this space with you in it, full of life, walking away, understanding it more, and thus living in light of that glorious knowledge. Eutychus's name. Do you know what it means in the Greek? I don't expect you to, by the way. It means lucky. I read that story and I'm like, luck seems to be the one thing he's missing. Why couldn't he be on the first floor or maybe the second? But maybe. I'm saying it with a smile because I don't believe in luck. Maybe he's actually more lucky than we understand. What was it that changed these people's outlook? His fall. What is it so often in our lives that gets our attention, that shows us our humanity, shows us our frailty, shows us our lack of control? Those trials, those sufferings, those flashes of my weakness, those flashes of my insufficiency, so that I might see the sufficiency and power and grace and mercy of my Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your living word. God, that it does wake up our sleepy souls. So often I am living, God, just under my own power, my own strength, my own intellect. Not trusting in you. And so, Lord, I thank you for those moments where you remind me how much I'm like Eutychus, how much my humanity and my flesh still lead the way. God, because it reminds me of how beautiful and how sweet and undeserving your grace is. Lord, I pray, especially in this Advent season, especially in this just ridiculous year that we're living. That you would help us to wade and walk through these times with a confidence that you have placed us here to not walk by our power, not to walk by, by our eyesight, but to walk in your power, to walk by the sight of your spirit that you give. God, forgive us for missing those moments that you're moving in power and might and we're asleep. Forgive us for those moments where you've invited us in intimately. And we're curled up, drifting off. Oh God, wake us up. As Ephesians says, God, awake us as sleepers. God, awaken us to the beauty of who you are. Father, only you can do that. Only your spirit can do that in our lives. And so, Lord, I'm trusting my life to you for that. I'm trusting this church for you to do that. God, I pray as we go from here in this Advent and this Christmas season, that the shadows and the flashes and the lights and the presence and all these things that are around us, the trees, would remind us of your son. 
his greatness and his power, his salvation that he literally took us from death to life. And may we live in light of that for your glory. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the journey that you have this faith community on. May we steward that for your glory each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.